Chapter One. Where is he? roared Ordonaut as he stormed down the castle corridor. The king, a robust man almost twenty hands tall, never walked or strolled anywhere. Bearded, his hair shoulder length, in his fur-trimmed cloak he looked like a bruising bear and just as irascible. I know it was him. No one else would dare. Anyone within the sound of my voice, find me that... that royal miscreant. Being within the sound of his voice usually included the entire castle, sometimes even the first three streets of the surrounding town. By now he had stormed into the queen's chamber. From the row he had caused, Benithia, be to her closest friends, was expecting him. What has Darren done this time, my husband? So furious was he, his tongue was tangled. Why he... He, I know not how, but he... Breathe, my dear, calm yourself. Ordonaut was a most outspoken fellow who had an opinion on just about everything, but he always, always listened to his wife and very rarely ignored her advice. He sucked air deep into his lungs, then, after a nod from the queen, expelled it like a giant bellows. (sighs) I don't know how he did it, but somehow he got into the chutney. B thought she had misheard. The what? The chutney, repeated Ordonaut. He knows it's my favorite condiment. He paced about. The king was not one for standing still. He must have added something to it. Good thing I've an iron stomach, but it sent all the other kings at the council rushing for the nearest guard robe. He spun about and faced her. He pointed his finger at her, but then thought better of it. Uh. Uh, I tell you, B, I will do something about it. I, I will lock him in his room for a decade or two. That will cure his outrageous behavior. Now, now, my dear, don't you see? This is exactly what he wants. It's the only way he knows how to get your attention. By being devious and disruptive? He's a knave, I tell you. Far worse than any jackanapes in the dungeon. The queen bit her tongue. It was not the first time they had argued about their son. For years she thought him merely rambunctious. But lately she was no longer quite so sure. For while Bryant, his twin, spent his time studying mathematics, the sciences, Bandedonian law, and courtly graces, Darren collected insects for his fiendish enjoyment and played nasty tricks on the servants. The court's routines were interrupted daily by the the sudden crash of this or the foul smell coming from that and though the boy was never found at the scene everyone knew darren was the culprit even so he is your son he is not blind you know he sees how you treat brian order not scowled oh really are we going to talk about this again you favor him You give him all your attention. The boy's a natural leader, a scholar, and a damn fine soldier. Should I discourage his achievements because his brother is jealous? I've tried, B. I really have. But Darren shows no interest in the running of things. He likes his cotillions and his horse races. And I'd swear he wears a new outfit at least twice a day. Now you exaggerate. The king took exception to the remark. Who do you think pays his bills? The ones marked overdue. He strode to his wife's writing station and flipped open a small leather box, whereupon, despite her protests, he snatched up some wrinkled parchment sheets and waved them in the air. It is not enough for the royal tailor to deliver you his receipts. In order to keep me from knowing about them, you must pay the man what he has due. Bee's heart picked up its pace. First her neck turned red and then her cheeks. That is unfair. I keep up with them as often as I can, but sometimes, because of your needs, I fall behind. 
my needs. The affairs of state. They fell silent and avoided each other's eyes. Odenot turned his thoughts to his sons. B was right. It mattered not they were twins. He had always favored Bryand. Were the fates kinder, the boy would be his unquestioned heir. But on the day his wife had given birth, the fates were not just quarrelsome, but also cruel. The summer palace had just been completed. Odenot and B were hosting all the neighboring kings and queens for tournaments and feasts and other frolics. They had just completed an exhausting round of mallets and wickets when B felt a sudden rush inside her, and, looking down, found her kirtle stained. At first, Odenot thought his wife merely sweaty, but when she screamed in pain and grabbed him by his lower lip, he realized the birthing process had begun. Quickly now, take the queen to her chamber, announced the king, sounding calm and in control. Inside, however, he was one step short of panicking. Someone summon the midwife. Summon Tumbelina. And to himself he added, Dearest gods, where do women find the strength to do this? Tall and muscular in stature, when not attending pregnant royals, Tumbelina was out by the adjoining lake, coaching the ladies-in-waiting synchronized swimming team. Upon hearing of the queen's condition, she leapt from her coaching station and did handsprings across the castle lawn. Before choosing midwifery, she had considered becoming an acrobat a profession always in need of those with her physical prowess, but balance issues that made her nauseous had ultimately kept her from this pursuit. Despite his wife being in capable hands, Odenot hastened to the palace chapel, where he placed a basket of chicken eggs upon the family altar and prayed to Placenta, the goddess of childbirth, to favor his wife with a successful delivery. The goddess indeed heard his prayers, for just eight hours later, the king emerged onto the terrace, holding not one son, but two. Twins they were, identical to the last wrinkle, and were it not for the different markings on their swaddling, no one could tell them apart. Before his sons were an hour old, Odenot had gathered his friends in the great hall to witness the proclaiming of the heir to his throne. The child who had emerged from his mother's womb first was named Bryand, after Benethia's father, and it was he who was to be the next king of Bandidon. The second child was named Darren, after the queen's favorite uncle who, some twenty years later, admitted to having a long-term affair. Trumpets blared in triumph, cymbals crashed, garlands of woven flowers were hung everywhere. A dozen choirs sang songs of rejoicing as dance troops from all over the kingdom performed upon the lawn. The ladies-in-waiting synchronized swimming team dazzled onlookers with their precision. Fire breathers! and jugglers entertained on an elevated platform while actors wove through the throng composing verse and showing off their latest clippings. On it went into the wee hours, yet the ceremony was not complete until Augur, the king's wizard, was summoned to the great hall. Bursting with pride and expectation, the king said, oh, Speak to us, man! <laughs> Tell us what greatness lies ahead for my sons! So charged, Olga, being a master of the dark arts and a doctor of peptic fizzes, faced the king and said, Ten gold pieces, please. My oracles aren't free, you know. Ten gold pieces? Isn't your fee usually five? How many princes do you see here, your grace? Two, right? Two princes, two fees. Still ten gold pieces. Oh, all right. I'll charge you eight. 
but I'm not making much of a profit on this. With the fee paid, his body went rigid. His face grew taut and sallow. A cold wind swept across the hall, dimming the torches, yet the room remained alight from an eerie glow emanating from the wizard. Then, in tones that seemed to rise from the depths of the dark world itself, Olga chanted, He who is, is he who is not, and he shall reap the other's lot. Until such time, in his brother's name, the rightful heir his throne doth claim. This profound declaration was followed by a lengthy pause, during which Aldernot and his friends glanced at one another with baffled looks upon their faces. But no one dared to utter a word because Augur was most fussy when interrupted in the middle of an incantation. Only after the wizard's eyes had uncrossed and the color had returned to his cheeks did the king venture to speak. Ah, uh, is that it? When Augur glared at him, he quickly added, w w What I mean is, uh, what does it mean? How should I know? I'm not responsible for the things I say. But Augur... Look, you get what you get. No refunds, especially not after a discount. At this, Augur clapped his hands and vanished in a blast of flames that knocked the king and his nobles off their feet. Unfortunately, the blast also set the furnishings in the room ablaze. An instant later, the ceiling rafters had caught as well, and then the apartments above. Thus the summer palace was burned to the ground, and Ordenot, in a violent rage, went searching for the wizard with sword in hand. But Augur had seen everything in a prior vision, and had already removed himself far from the king's reach. Things went from bad to worse. In a rush to protect the princes from the flames, their swaddling was discarded as they were handed from servant to servant, yeoman to yeoman, along the corridors, down the stairwell, through the main gate, and across the drawbridge. Until at last they were well beyond the moat and out of danger. However, being identical twins, without their swaddling, no one could tell them apart. Queen Benithia, as a result of her labor, was not yet fully coherent. The queen's mother had cataracts, therefore her judgment was as clouded as her vision. Only Tumbelina could identify the children. Distraught, Ordenot went searching for her amid the smoking ruins. But inasmuch as the fire had consumed her, along with the prince's swaddling, he was prevented from pursuing the matter further. Tumbelina was gone, and so too the knowledge of which of the infants was first born. It should also be noted the ladies-in-waiting synchronized swimming team suffered greatly from this development. Ordenot gathered his friends, and a heated discussion ensued, but no one could provide him with an answer to his dilemma. It was finally decided to consult the most learned man they could find at such short notice. His name was Dubius, and he had been a priest in the service of Charisma, the god of politicians, until he had been caught skimming from the tithing box. While in the dungeon, he had written a book about his experiences that had won him minor acclaim. First, let me say I'm very happy to be here today. The king was in no mood to waste time on pleasantries. Yes, yes, we're very happy to have you. You have been informed of the situation? Uh, yes, your grace, I have. And what is your recommendation? In my opinion, and please remember, sire, this is just my opinion, any actions you take shall be solely your own. Yes, yes, go on, said the king irritably. Well, were I in your position, which I am certainly not, I would simply give the children 
the names you had planned and pretend nothing unusual happened. But what about the firstborn? Which of the twins would be my heir? Perhaps you can say they came out at the same time. Though something like that would be highly irregular, in my opinion, and please remember, sire, this is just my opinion, you could then leave the decision up to the gods. Surely by their signs you would know which child deserves to rule in your place. So it was that Odenot held his sons in his arms, and, deeming the child on his left, Brian, and the child on his right, Darren, the decision was made to wait and see which of the two the gods would favor. And just as Dubius had foretold, the gods had indeed favored one twin over the other. Odenot smiled as he thought of Brian, but when he glanced at the queen and saw her dour look, he quickly sobered. Yes, so, uh, well, I suppose I should go. There's a cattle competition, and I'm supposed to be one of the judges. But he made no attempt to leave. Instead, he stood in place with his eyes downcast and fidgeted. Bee watched him do so all the while shaking her head, but just a bit so her husband would not see. She knew he wanted to say something more, but his pride was keeping him from it. So when he glanced her way, she smiled at him, a little one, but enough to break the tension between them. I, I should listen to you more, said Ordenot, taking her in his arms. You've always had sound judgment. It comes from being a woman, my dear. We have insight you men sadly lack. Ordenot smirked at her. Like what, for instance? When when was the last time you bathed? What has that to do with anything? When was the last time you bathed, my dear? I don't know. Last month, I think. I rest my case. Odenot tried to take his wife's advice, not only to bathe more, but to be more understanding. But as the years continued to advance, and Darren's intemperate behavior persisted, the king grew closer and closer to Brian. They would spend hours together discussing the rulings of the day, sharing ideas for the betterment of the kingdom, practicing jousting skills on the lists. There seemed to be nothing lacking in the boy, though one small thing did trouble the king. He was always getting lost. It was as if he had no sense of direction. And then there was something else. The king had always allowed his heart to guide him. Brian seemed to lack the same instinct. Not that he was aloof or unloving, he was, in fact, a dutiful son. Yet he always kept close guard on his feelings and weighed the questions presented to him almost too carefully before reaching a decision. Even so, when the king considered who would replace him, which he did often throughout the day, his answer never varied. Brian was the twin who would best serve the kingdom, therefore it was Brian he would choose as his heir. So it was decided, upon the prince's twenty-third naming day, the king would announce his heir. In honor of the celebration, King Jasper, the wealthiest and most powerful of Ordenot's vassals, brought his entire family to the court. Immediately upon meeting Mian, the fairest daughter, Ordenot decided the time had come not just to declare Brian his heir, but also to announce his wedding. The king liked her right from the start. She was an intelligent lass, always contributing to the conversation, with hair the color of harvest wheat and piercing green eyes that traveled in the same direction, unlike her mother and older sister who suffered the same wall-eyed affliction. She appreciated his jests and playful remarks and did him better without hesitation. Once, after sharing a pitcher of ale, the king asked, Tell me, 
What do you think of my sons? Mayan considered the question. Then, with a smile playing at her lips, she replied, That is difficult to say, Your Grace. I cannot think of one without being reminded of the other. He laughed at this. Emboldened, she continued, In truth, Your Grace, the first time I set eyes on them, I thought I was seeing double. After this, she was all he could talk about to his wife. I tell you, B, I see something in her. She is special. She reminds me of you, a woman smart enough and strong enough to be a ruler. B had recognized it too, but her mother's heart was always guarded when giving up a son to another woman. Not jealous, just cautious, and hopeful for a future filled with contentment and sometimes even love. Perhaps then, said the queen with a wistful smile, you should be talking to your son instead of me. He did just that. He sought out Bryant, which was never very difficult, as the prince spent most of his time training with his friends on the jousting field. Well, my son, said the king with a broad smile, placing his arms akimbo, after giving it much thought, I believe the time has come for you to marry. Really, father? asked Bryant, busy sharpening his sword. Pray tell me why. This took the king by surprise. Why, to preserve the house, lad. Bryant stared down the edge of his blade. What is marriage to do with preserving the house? Was it not renovated this past spring? At first, the king knew not how to respond. Could it be he had failed to teach his son the importance of perpetuating their lineage? He was about to launch into the subject when he noticed the sly smile on Brian's face. You are jesting, yes? Hi, father, said the prince, his smile stretching into a toothy grin. I have studied and appreciate the succession of kings. Oh, thank the gods, said Ordenot, greatly relieved. I'm glad you understand the necessity. Also, I was worried you might not have a sense of humor. I see now you do. So, said Bryant, sheathing his blade, who is it to be? As a prince of the realm, it was his duty to marry whomsoever the king chose for him. But before his father could answer, he quickly added, Were you, perhaps, thinking of King Jasper's daughter? Order not smiled. You mean me, Anne? Bryant nodded, but said nothing. The king saw his son's mood change. Why? Don't you like her? Again, Bryant was silent. Please, my son, tell me the truth. Well, as a matter of fact, I, I like her very much. But... But it seems that, whenever I'm around her, Ordonaut had been hanging on every word. Yes? Yes? Go on, my son. By now the prince wore a pained expression. Well, whenever I'm around her, my conversation is less than brilliant. Actually, the last time he was in her presence, he fumbled so badly for something to say, his face turned crimson and he broke into a cold sweat. In fact, it is positively idiotic. I could not sound more feeble-minded. Ordenot nodded, relieved and also pleased. Ah, but words will come in time. You'll see. In a year or two from now, you'll think nothing about telling her your deepest secrets. Now let us go and have a drink, and I will pretend to tell you all about the birds and bees. That way, when your mother asks me, I can say I have done my fatherly duty. In an elaborate ceremony before the entire court, one that encompassed both Bandedonian and Jasperin traditions, Bryant and Mian plighted their troth. Yet despite his father's encouraging words, the prince struggled while in Mian's presence. His whole life had been swords and shields and tournaments upon the lists, and with these as his only reference he could speak of nothing else. Often during their conversations the princess yawned or glanced everywhere but in his direction. I'm, uh, sorry, my lady, if I'm, uh, uh, 
boring you. Oh, no, no, you're not. But you've spoken about this tournament already. Twice before, I think. Concerned now he would lose her favor, he combed the castle library for topics she might find interesting. He set to memory moving and inspiring passages, but each time he tried to recite one, his head emptied of all the words. One day, his tongue was so thick and heavy, he could barely put three words together. Feeling most depressed, he bowed and begged his leave of her. I'm, I'm sorry, my lady, if, if you'll excuse me, I, I seem not to have anything worthwhile to say. She looked at him with sad eyes. No, it seems you do not. Well, perhaps it is I who should leave, my lord. I have some work to do. Work? He asked, genuinely curious. She took offense to this. He could see it in her eyes. And when next she spoke, she was most direct. Yes, my lord, on my tapestry. I have asked your carpenter to construct a frame. He was most surprised when I gave him the measurements. In this she was referring loosely to their betrothal ceremony. Calling upon an ancient custom of her people, she had pledged to embroider him the tapestry of his choosing, as a token of her devotion. This I shall do for you, my lord, she had proclaimed before the entire court, and upon the day of its completion I shall be your bride. What then shall I make for you? Some simple scene of pastoral beauty to hang above our bed? After pausing to consider, he had replied, How about something for the great hall? We could use a tapestry along the balcony. Being her first time at court, when she had seen for herself what he was suggesting, the smile on her face had collapsed at once. But that must be twenty feet long and almost as high. What about a mural? He had said with mounting enthusiasm, one depicting the major historical events of the kingdom. Now that would be most impressive. If you say so, she had replied, feeling overwhelmed, for a tapestry that size would take her ten years to complete. Perhaps perhaps even longer. Tears had sprung to her eyes, and had not control been stressed during her years of training, she might have broken down and cried. Instead, she had presented him with a strained smile, and had curtsied to acknowledge his choice. Summoning all the dignity she could muster, she had stepped to his side and had received the salutations of the court. But for her, it had been a joyless occasion. Upon the utterance of one request, a life that had seemed so promising promising at first, had soured like milk left standing for a week. <clears throat> Would my lady like me to escort her to her chamber? She rose from her thoughts, having not heard a word. I... I beg your pardon? Would my lady like me to escort her to her chamber? She scoffed at this. Why? Do you fear I am in danger? He knitted his brow, her sarcasm escaping him. Why, no, my lady. I... Uh, what I mean to say is you are perfectly safe here. I... I, I simply thought perhaps you would like the company. No, replied the princess a bit too quickly. I prefer to be alone. Whereupon she bid him good day, and he stared in her direction long after she had left. What is wrong with you? said Bryant to himself. Why are you such a dunderhead? His brother, Prince Darren, who had been romping in the maids' quarters since the age of eleven, seemed always somewhere close enough to observe his twin's failures. One more unsuccessful attempt day, brother. Perhaps you should stick to playing soldier. It appears you are far better at that. 
For Brian, these insults were just a small part of what had become a daily ritual. There was by now no one other than their father who was more routinely the recipient of his twin's disdain. Thank you, brother, replied Brian. I appreciate the suggestion. It was his usual response. Whenever Darren baited him, he would simply smile and shrug, then excuse himself politely and go about his business. However, what Brian saw as tolerance, Darren saw as weakness. For this he loathed his twin, but it was not the only reason. Inwardly, Darren burned with jealousy. That his father had chosen Mian for Brian left no doubt he was the favored son. And were that not enough to provoke Darren's wrath, as part of the marriage bargain, he had been plighted to Mian's older sister, Blindella. Though a very pretty girl and a very generous person, Darren could not ignore what he considered an affliction. Looking at her made him uncomfortable, for he did not know upon which eye to land, until the day he found her staring at both his ears at the same time and gave up altogether. He was jealous for another reason, and this he kept a closely guarded secret. The moment he had set eyes upon Mian, he had felt something stir for the first time, not in his loins, but in his heart. Thoughts of her filled his day and drove his sleep away at night. The more he dwelled on her loveliness, on the glow of her skin and the warmth of her smile, the greater was his torment, for he knew she would never be his. Never, he thought one night as he lay awake staring at the ceiling. How can this be? Am I not every bit as good-looking as... He had trouble saying his brother's name. Am I not just as smart? Am I not as convivial? Why, I'm much more entertaining at parties. Why would she want him when she could have me? The thought continued to rankle him, not just because he found it incredulous, but because of something much more personal. Though there was very little about what's-his-name he found interesting or worthy of respect, if given the opportunity, he would, in fact, without a glint of misgiving, trade places with his twin. Knowing this left his spirits worse than low. Oh, if only it was possible. If only I could wake up tomorrow and be him. And then, after considering a bit, he sat upright in bed. He threw off his covers and hurried across the floor to the full-length mirror by his dressing table. Could it be? He studied his reflection. It was no different from what he had always seen. But, and this was the crux of the matter, did not Bryant always see the very same reflection when gazing in his own mirror? His mind was racing now. How Often were they mistaken for each other. Even his mother had trouble telling them apart. For this very reason, Darren had grown up hating his looks. Yet now, despite the years of wanting an identity all his own, he was nothing less than overjoyed to be his brother's double. The answer to his problem was literally staring him in the face. If Mian was pledged to his brother, then he would be his brother. Only not as dull. Oh, the genius of it! And so simply achieved! He would shed his identity, if just for one night, step into his brother's shoes, no pun intended, and woo the girl without her ever knowing it. Uh -oh.